today. Mo Info on the DEA. As Atalanta take the top four at a canter, it's a special on the Bergamo Kings, their incredible season and their colourful history, from Merthyr Tidville to Doni hiding in his garage to Papu Gomez. Also, welcome back, Massimo Cellino. We've missed you. Turin Derby and more. davanti al portiere la mette in mezzo non è finita Castagna in rete Castagna Atalanta in vantaggio all'Olimpico Happy Atalanta fans 4,000 of them Sunday night at the Zingonia training ground to welcome Atalanta back from their latest exploits Sunday's 3-1 win away at Lazio at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, a victory which sets the Queen of the Provinces up for fourth or maybe even third place and a great warm-up for the Italian Cup final. High time for an Atlanta special. Joining us today, Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle, who is oh, just back from Bergamo himself. James, what's the mood like? Well, I was there before the Lazio game, um, James, and I visited the training ground. And it felt like quite a big week for Atalanta anyway, because they were announcing naming rights for the stadium, which they are renovating. Work is about to start on that for their last home game against Udinese. You saw fans actually taking bits down from the the Curva Nord, um, and that's going to be formally dismantled from today, I think. Mm. And No uh, more home games, right? No more home games, and they hope to have it back ready in time for mid-September, that part of the stadium. Yeah, so they're doing one side per year, basically, and getting yeah, the whole thing a done. A little bit tw- like Udinese did with right. the Dacia okay, Arena. Nice. And there are some parallels between this three-year spell, I suppose, of success that Atalanta had in the three years that Udinese did with right. Guidelin, Toto di Natale, That's and generation there. Interesting. Which we can get to be successful once your stadium is finished so they can fully exploit it commercially. <laughs> right. Cab. Yeah. It was a great result on Sunday, but they've been doing this all season against Inter, against Juve, the four goals in the quarter of an hour against Bologna. They've been the story of the season. They, they certainly have. And I was waiting for them to, to regress to the meet because the, the whole thing is you, you, take, a, you take a ton of shots, you're, you, you have sort of this, 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 this front three of Ilicic, Gomez and Zapata, but, you know, Gomez is the only one who I think has actually been consistently good over his career to that point. Ilicic, of course, is, you know, human highlight reel. And, you know, Zapata's just a guy whose last name means shoe in Spanish, right? So, but this season, they've just been on fire. The mechanisms behind them, the the wingbacks, the back threes working, it's all worked out for them. And I, I started a stat. I suggest saw it on Sky Italia. Stat was actually slightly wrong. We all know they're the highest scoring team in Italy, even more than that other team that wins everything and has Cristiano Ronaldo up front. But nobody in Europe's big five leagues has scored more goals away from home mm. than Atalanta. Mm. Although that comes a little asterisk, which doesn't lessen the story, is Hoffenheim have scored as many goals in one fewer away game. But still, that is just unbelievable. We'll explore some of the reasons why La Dea are having such a remarkable season, such a remarkable series of campaigns, and what it might be like to see them in the Champions League next season. First, before any of that, let's get a bit of context. Oh, 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 oh. 
sognavo questo Sudore e lacrime sul campo La mia fatica e il mio successo Yeah, that's the Arapakoi Ganti Pierluigi Golini in Arte Glorious. Atalanta are, of course, based in Bergamo, 30 miles from Milan, or in Milan if you're Ryanair, and a city very much in two parts. Their proximity to the great metropolis that is Milan, one of the reasons why perhaps they don't measure up with the big clubs in trophy terms. They've been more famous over the years for other reasons, principally their academy, no? Yeah, and just to contextualize a little bit of what the city of Bergamo, because they're so close to Milan, and that whole area of, of, of Lombardia, you know, right down there, there's a highway that goes from Milan all the way to, to, to Venice and obviously hits Bergamo and Brescia or whatever. They're self-conscious of the fact that the big city is, is down the road. Bergamo is one of the wealthiest cities in Italy. Bergamo, as you said, is divided in two parts. There's Bergamo Alta, which is on, affected on top of a mountain. What's amazing... di Sura. Would that be right? Is that what they call it? I believe so. Yeah, the, Bergamo uh, di Sura uh, and Bergamo di Sota. Bergamo Alta is one of the prettiest cities hmm. in Italy. And I remember when I went there for the first time, I'm like, why didn't I know about this? Why didn't anybody come visit, you yeah. know? And the reason is they like it that way. <laughs> they don't want outsiders coming into their little their little world. There's the whole all the valleys which go north from there, um, where you have these, these these very successful, very very wealthy sort of mountain folk, and they don't like mixing with the people downstairs. And the people they really don't like. This is what we've talked about before. It's one of the most. It's one of the wildest rivalries in Syria is with Brescia. Um, Brescia Industrial Center, it's only, what, maybe 20 minutes away down the motorway. Bergamo will boast about the fact that they have a bigger airport. Brescia will boast about the fact, yeah, but we have two motorway exits and you just have one. And there's this incredible rivalry and it goes right down to, I mean, in football terms, you touched upon it, the academy, how it's not cool when Atalanta, who have one of the best academies in all Europe, spend a ton of money on it. It's not cool when they go on Brescia's patch to go and get players, but but they often do. And in fact, what Atalanta often do is they go and they they scout in the Greater Milan area. And it's remarkable that they have produced so much talent when you consider that you know they have Brescia down the road, and they've got two super clubs like Milan and and Inter, you know, a half hour away. Plus, of course, Monza in. Not quite the same thing, but, but you know, there are a number in Colmo. There's a number of professional clubs around there. And yet year after year they do this. And we should probably spend a word on the guy who, who was sort of the legendary um, academy director, Mino Favini, who passed away last week. Mm. And his funeral, I think, was when you were still there, no, James? Yeah, but it wasn't in uh, Bergamo. Um, and I think there were not only um, people who'd been at the club over the course of his 25 years there, um, like Beppe Marotta, uh, for example, who'd spent a couple of years, did very well at Atlantic Cup. I know you're going to bring that up. And the Yeah, he basically <laughs> blew like 10 years worth of budgets on signing two players for <laughs> Milan. Milan was run by his friend Adriano Galliani, of course, mm. the legendary Luca Saudati and Gianni Comandini. But I, I found it quite interesting uh, looking at some of the pictures in the in the local papers as to who were the pallbearers um, at the funeral. And one of them was Claudio Galimberti, 
Il Boccia, the uh, the capo ultra of the uh, the Curva Pisani, uh, one, one of the most kind of significant nationally yeah. leaders of the ultra movement, no? Yeah, without doubt. Who um, and there've been a series of uh, protest marches in Bergamo over the last uh, few weeks. Um, I think attempting to get um, Calimberti's Daspo, his, uh, well, he's got a series of them. These are banning orders, essentially. I think he's got, you know, like when people are put away and they've got so many life sentences, it's like thousands of years. Um, I think he's got 25 years of banning orders. Brilliant. And obviously, I mean, and this is, I think, what we're going to get to, James, which is going to put this club into context. I think you probably have to say that this three-year stretch that Atlanta are on at the moment ranks, if not surpasses, what they did in the late 80s. Well, yeah, until, say, the arrival of Percassi and then Gasparini in 2016 as manager, Atlanta famous for such things as having that tank crushing cars at their uh, pre-season day. And the thing is, what what was uh, spray-painted onto these cars, one had Brescia spray-painted on it, and the other was Roma, who they uh, they also have a big rivalry. In fact, the one thing that Bresciani and uh, Bergamaschi agree on is the fact that Roma are the... And equally, well, in fact, it's true. I do recall Lazio and Roma fans uniting to take on the uh, to take on the uh, the uh, was it the Bresciani or the? Uh, but it, you know what? Well, it's amazing it. how uh, you have this kind of wonderful um, synthesis, if you like, of Carlo Mazzone, Romanista doc, sort of being in charge of the Brescia side that in that incredible game against Atalanta. We touched upon it in last week's episode when we were talking about Malisani going under the curva mm. and Mazzone, the old man, having to be held back, but nobody could hold him back from basically going to celebrate in the faces of the Bergamaschi. Sending all newborn children in the area a an Atalanta strip so as to get them That's into the faith. Yeah. They, they, they send them a strip and then they send them kind of a document that the parents are invited to sign, which is that they will basically put every effort forward to raise their child, you know, assuming that the guy is from Bergamo and not some interloper who was just born there. Oh, really? So do they only send it to newborn of the right kind of genetic... No, no, it's anybody born there. Okay, but obviously, right. if you if you're a Juventus fan and you come from a long line of Juve fans, they're not going to be, you're not going to make you say like, oh, you've got to raise your son as an Atlanta fan. But anybody who either has no interest in football or is lukewarm, they say like, we're welcoming you into our family and we invite you to to make this oath. And it's quite a significant oath to those of us who are papists because <laughs> um, when you get married, you also make an oath to raise your children in the Catholic Church, you make a pledge to, to raise your children as Catholics, therefore maintaining the papist legacy. So it is sort of the same thing that Atalanta are doing. Atalanta is also one of the most Catholic cities um, in Italy. So it's very much in keeping with that. It's keeping with the idea that you need to. You mentioned the guy before, Galimberti, Ibocha, who, by the way, he's like a feared ultras leader. He's also, you know, he's a, he's a landscape designer. That's his day job. This is a very eloquent speech that... The, the, that's where he talks about how if I see a little kid walking through town and I hear his, his accent from his accent that he's one of us and he's wearing a, a shirt or he's wearing colors of another team. I'm going to drive a tank over him. No. He's like, I'm not going to go and beat him up, but I'm going to have a word with his parents right. because I think he owes the city an explanation. That's not remotely threatening. That's great. No, but he does have a point. Like, honestly. What what is the world coming to where everybody has to be a Manchester United or a Juve fan? I, I think they their sense of local identity. What you mentioned before, yeah. you keep bringing up the tank. For the avoidance of doubt here, 
this isn't some loon stealing a tank and running over cars. No, no, we, we have mentioned summer, this before on Galactica, yes, but yeah. Every summer, yeah. they have La Festa della Dea, the Feast of the Goddess, the goddess being Atalanta, yeah. where all the players are invited and they do silly things. And one year, one guy who likes to collect World War II relics, nothing wrong with that, sometimes dresses in uniform too, <laughs> he happened to have a spare tank. And he loaned it to them, and they put right. a bunch of junk cars, right. and, and they, they put, went, they rode the tank. And people got so bent out of shape Glenn after. Peter Stromberg on it as well. He, yeah. was, he was riding it as it went over. He was so, obviously one of the... The Scandinavian the, god. The Scandinavian right. uh, So, yeah, now you want to talk about that, so we'll get onto that, because for many years, they were a yo-yo side. They'd come up to Syria, but then get relegated, then they'd come straight back up again. In fact, I think prior to Gasparini's arrival, they only managed to finish in the top half of Syria once in in the kind of decade that preceded that they've only once picked up a trophy that was the Coppa Italia in 1963 of course they're now one game away from doubling that tally they did though set a record in 1988 why James is that because they reached the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup despite being in the second division at the exactly, time exactly yeah they beat along the way Sporting Lisbon and Merthyr Tidville <laughs> But only after Merthyr Tidville had beaten them. It was a 2-1 victory for the, the Welsh side. Rogers. E proprio Rogers. Poi la palla deviata finisce in porta. Il 35esimo minuto e l'Atalanta è in svantaggio sul tiro di Rogers. Kevin Rogers, who would go on to play for Villa and Birmingham, scoring uh, 34 minutes in. Merthyr Tidville's side composed of steelworkers, electricians and road workers. Uh, the Atlanta lineup included Glenn Stromberg, Carmine Gentili, and a midfielder by the name of Cesare Prandelli. Do you know who the manager was? Mondonico. It was Mondonico. They lost out, sadly, to the winners Mechelen of, uh, of Belgium in the, in the semi-final. Since the 90s, discreet success, but also a level of no- notoriety that really uh, is owed to the 2010-2011 season, James. <laughs> Yes, and the captain at the time, Cristiano Doni. Now, Doni was a, a legend, I would say, at Atalanta. I think he's still their all-time top scorer. He is. Fourth all-time in terms of appearances. And when they, whenever they went down, on the occasions he didn't jump ship to go and play for Sampdoria Mallorca, he would come and basically get them back up again. We, we should to provide a how little would bit of co- context on, on Doni as well. So first of all, Doni kind of kind of looked odd because he had. He looks like, like Nicola Berti. I'd forgotten how much he looks like. Like he looks Berti. like fat retired Nicola Berti. I mean, we, he wasn't fat, but he just has that face that makes him look fat. Right. He came from pressure as well. Well, this is the thing about him, right? Mm. If you talk to the more religious or devout of the Atalanta fan, they will point out that we should have seen it coming. That there was a snake between us because. Not only did Doni come from Brescia, I believe he might have even come to the ranks there, but he certainly played at Brescia for a number of years. But he was born in Rome mm. as well. And deceptively, he, he left when he was very young, so he never had that Roman accent. So I think he fooled a lot of people with his, <laughs> with his providence. And let's not forget, Doni was also in the Italy side. In, 2002. Yeah. Which is weirdly like nine years earlier. Yeah. But, um, well, before in 2000, he was already playing for Atalanta. I mean, what we should say is that he scored a hell of a lot of goals from he midfield. Scored, yeah. You know, he would regularly get into double figures. The Lampard. <laughs> no, no, very much so. He was a, basically a Nicola Berti looking Lampard esque, deep line midfielder with an incredible talent for, for scoring goals, which earned him seven 
caps with the Azzurri, which is, again, a, a, an, an Atalanta record. But great though he was out of midfield, in 2011, word breaks of a betting scandal in Italian football, I know, right? Uh, all about, basically, supposedly, betting syndicates that have fixed a wide range of second division and various lower league games. Do you remember yeah. how it all begins? Yeah, so I will. Rem- I, re- I remember some of this, and please feel free and, and add details. Basically, this guy had a girlfriend, and he had expensive tastes, but he was a third-division goalkeeper, and he developed a lot of debt. And then some friends said, hey, look, you play in goal for Cremonese. Cremonese are dominating the league that year. Why don't you help us out? Concede a couple goals there, a couple wins turn into draws, because, you know, you could make a lot of money since... Cremonese were generally heavy favorites all the time by basically laying Cremonese on the Asian markets. So he's like, okay. So he basically starts throwing in goals. And you can go on YouTube and you can see some of this. However, Cremonese are so good that in spite of this, he keeps winning. So he's like, oh, Christ, how am I going to get around out of this? Because, you know, like these people keep giving me money to throw the games and I can't throw the games. I don't know, should I involve my teammates or whatever else? So then what he decides to do is he effectively gets these sleeping these pills, sleeping pills mm-hmm. which were prescription too. I think, didn't he steal them or something? I, or there's some, some weird thing. But he administers them to his teammates. He so this spikes is their the... drinks at halftime. Mm-hmm. No, before before a match. Right. He spikes. But I think as it turned out, he spiked, he spiked everybody's drinks. Yeah. Right. But only a couple of them actually drank pre-match. And then afterwards, they started feeling sick. And the funny thing is, didn't they still win that game? I'm not sure. Even with people throwing up. This is the reason that it all comes to light, because one of them has a car crash on the way home and says to the police when they they come to pick him up, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't feel right. They test him. They then test the rest of the team, and they discover that they've all had these pharmaceuticals administered to them, and then it all begins to come out. So Paloni pretended that he had all these connections in football, and what he'd do is he'd kind of be like, oh, yeah, I think this game's going to end in a draw. So then he would take money from these match fixtures to say, look, I arranged that draw. I'm going to arrange this draw, right? And then went in a draw and then he pretended he had all these, all these connections and he knew all these, all these people, but he didn't really. And one of the things that he did, who didn't he, when, when he impersonated somebody, he's like, yeah, he's going to call you. Well, I forget who it yes. was. And they do like a fake you, Skype kind of could, thing. Yeah, he, so he sets up a fake yeah. Skype account and he's like, yeah, like, well, they're like give, give, well, give us give us your mobile. Like, no, 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 I'll Skype you, right? And it says like, you know, whatever the guy's name is, you know, Mario Rossi or whatever. And this guy calls up and because they have the same accent because they're both from Rome, they're, you know, they're, they're suspicious and they're like, Paloni, say, dude, it's you, isn't it? He's like, no, 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 we just have the same accent because we're both from, we're both from Rome. So then he then, they want to Skype video him and he puts on this ridiculous disguise where he wears, he appears, but he's got like, it's like, it's like summer and he's got, it's not summer, but it's sunny and he's on his balcony and he has this big scarf on, these big like women's sunglasses and a hat. So they're still like, well, we can't see if it's you. And then he realizes, like, I'm basically full of it. He's like, what? What? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And he hangs up. Um, this is complete, like, this is a seriously disturbed person. And, you know, as ever, you're not going to know how many people he conned or or, or tried to con. The player he, he was impersonating was? Daniele Cordovia. However true his stories were, by pulling on that thread, the authorities began to unravel a network of influence designed to arrange fixtures that included in its web the likes of Beppe Signori, Mauro Bressan, Stefano Bettarini, and the biggest active player who gets caught up is the Atlanta captain, Cristiano Doni. Now, Doni had actually had issues with 
match fixing before. So this was a cup game with Pistoiese, which actually involved Max Allegri, who was what was he? Pistoiese. I think it was towards the end of his career. He was he was still playing. He was with Pistoiese. Anyway, as you say, he was cleared. And so Doni, do you remember, he used to go around, after he scored one of his many goals, he would put his hand under his chin and, and lift up his head as if to say, my head is high. my head held high. My yeah. head held high. Not so much, though, when on the 19th of December 2011, uh, the Carabinieri came for him. And this is extraordinary. There's a, a raid of his house, 16 Carabinieri come in, and he thought he was being burgled. And you see, because this is great, whenever you see there's like a, a raid on, I don't know, kind of uh, a mob meeting of the Enderangita or the Camorra or something like that, the, the Carabinieri film it all. And so you see, basically, there's a guy with a camera outside the front door of Donny's house and they lead him out and you can just see in the background the, the family Christmas tree just twinkling. Donny, who apparently had been hiding once he realised it was Carabinieri. And his name, of course, means gifts in Italian, oh, which also adds a whole other whole But other the story famously, anyway, that he'd, he'd run to his garage and was hiding behind the, the, the front of his car, but mm. they, they still found him anyway. And we also should say that someone implicated in that scandal in a very damaging way plays for Atalanta at this moment in time. Masiello. Masiello. Doni gets a five-year ban later reduced to three and a half seasons from football, which seems pretty mild. He gets arrested, spends a significant amount of time in, inside. Atalanta get docked six points for the following season, their first in Serie A, and uh, the reaction of people in town was pretty severe. Yeah, uh, they disowned him completely. And you know, in much the same way that Gap has explained earlier, you know, brought up all these other... Say coincidences, right? <laughs> Doni now, as you say, is still living in Bergamo. He does have a bar in Mallorca, though. If you want does to go he? there, okay, yeah. where he briefly played, as you mentioned. He says now that he was the scapegoat; that he basically made a large sacrifice as captain, taking the blame so that Atalanta would get off easy. Had he not said yes, it's me. Had he admitted that everybody else, this is again Cristiano Doni's version, that everybody else was involved, they would have gone down to Liga Pro. But instead, he carried the can. And if, this is a story that you hear, that basically he, he received money. Some people say that he was basically paid off just to, to be the fall guy. Well, his contract was honoured. There you go. <laughs> Remarkable business. Happier times now. That's the important thing. Happier times now for Atalanta, making headlines for the right reasons, especially since the arrival of Gasparini in 2016. But before, before we, Gasparini's not very pleasant, can we give one other <laughs> big shout? We talked about, we, we touched upon Atalanta's youth right. academy. The sheer volume of players that they produce. Like, if you want to talk superstars, I guess Donadoni is probably the biggest player. You know, you're, Gaetano Shirea. Gaetano Shirea before him. You know, you're not going to necessarily reel off Five or six. Pazzini, Tacchinardi, Montalivo. Well, yeah. well, that's what I mean. Cabrini. This but is the, the other thing. They also were able to sign players and, and develop them. Not just Montero, but for example, Bobo Vieri, who came through mm. at Torino. Pippo Inzaghi but, as well, who replaced Vieri when he left. They had a very good record. 17 national titles, just to say. 17 national titles between 91 and 2014. It's incredible. They also had one season, I want to say maybe around the turn of the millennium where 
people who who came from their youth academy and actually went on to have long, proper, top-flight careers. Fabio Rustico, who later ran for mayor of Bergamo. Of course, the legendary Domenico Morfeo. Mm. Luciano Zauri, who was capped for Italy, went on to Lazio, played there for, for, for many years. Stefano Lorenzi was a really mean defender, then suffered a bad injury. Ivan Pellizzoli, also capped for Italy, never turned out to be as good as we thought he would be, but, you know, got a ma- the iceberg, uh, got a big uh, uh, move to Rome. Christian Zeroni and his brother Damiano, who I believe might have both been capped as well. Mm-hmm. Massimo Donati, who, of course, later went yeah. to Celtic, of course, I, and was like the bright young thing in midfield. Giampaolo Bellini, who I think was one of the most underrated defenders in a long time. Rolando Bianchi couldn't play a lick, but was very tall and the target man. Oh, yeah, and Pinardi, who was the guy who was supposed to be... Pinardi was supposed to be their biggest talent since Morfeo, and then because he was a bit, he's a bit mad, he never quite made it. But if you have one guy a year who can play top-flight football, maybe not at your club, but somewhere else, then you've been successful. They would regularly have three, four, five, six. They had Fabio Rustico. They had the other guy who went to Rome. The winger. I mean, it was, it's pretty. You should check out Atalanta, like 2001, 2002. It's unreal. And they also had, they had a guy named Sam Dalabona who then went to Chelsea together yeah. with Luca Percassi. Luca Percassi, who is the son of the current owner. Right, who you met up with this week. Yeah, I mean, he's the chief executive. He runs the, the club now. And shaved his head yet? Because I remember he came over, he head. was like 19 and like he was balding. Yeah, so he was at Chelsea for three years. But I think this is the other thing that gets lost about Atalanta, that this is very much a kind of family affair. And the Pedicassi family are from uh, just outside of Bergamo. And his father, Antonio, used to play for them, but kind of quit, walked away from football aged 24, 25. Um, and has been very successful in business in terms of basically finding and buying retail space and then renting it and selling it to very high profile global brands across you know across Italy so for example the first this is this is probably again not going to paint him in a great light but the first Starbucks that that uh, that came to Italy what just last year was kind of a Picassi thing a Picassi deal wow but yeah i mean in terms of knowing who you are and what that club is and should be its identity. The Pedgassis are exactly the right people to be running that club. Better latte than never. <laughs> anyway, all right, well, let's talk about then the current Atalanta and why it's the most special part of this story after this. Under Gasparini, into the UEFA Cup they went, oh, sorry, Europa League a few seasons ago, but Everton fans remember that, losing 8-1 to La Dea on aggregate. This time around, they've had I some... Wayne Rooney's performance is like... Unsworth didn't get the job on a permanent basis. <laughs> this time around, they have just put together an incredible... I mean, they started brilliantly, a 4-0 win over Frosinone on opening day, but the way that they've sustained it right through the campaign has been a real surprise. And this Sunday, going down to the Stadio Olimpico in, in Rome, in what is a dress rehearsal for the Coppa Italia final, when they'll be at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome playing... Lazio and going a goal behind to Lazio. They've done that I think 11 times this season. Um, They've recovered more points from losing positions than any other team Um, and Gasparini was joking afterwards saying it's clearly a tactic that they work on. (laughs) But Uh, they come back to win 3-1 for their fourth straight victory. What an incredible season. Mentioned back at the top things like their 4-1 win over Inter, the 3-0 win in the cup over Juve. And the remarkable thing is that this is despite the steady turnover 
of players. Yeah, I mean, they finished fourth um, three years ago, back when fourth wouldn't get you into the Champions League. Um, and they had a lot of players who Gasparini basically put faith in because they lost four of their first five games. And he just said, screw it, I'm going to play the kids. We've got a really good generation coming through. And already by January, they were getting picked off. Gagliardini went to Inter for 28 million. They then lost Kessi, Conti. I think of the, the team that finished fourth that year, there were only three still left. And that is Toloi, mm-hmm. Masiello and Papu Gomez. The turnover in that time, I mean, this is practically a, a completely different team. Um, because the the one that got them into the Europa League had Bedisha in goal, Caldara, who um, would go to Juve and then is now at Milan, Conti, who like him, his knees keep blowing out, Spinazzola, who's obviously done very well for Juve in the second half of this season, Kessi, Yasmin Kurtic, Andrea Pitania, both of whom are now at Spal, and Gagliardini. And so there is this idea that Atalanta have a team that is essentially furnished by their academy that's not the case with this team this makes it so different and that's what makes it so different and i think what they've what they've tried to do in order to make this team sustainable is they obviously can't rely on their academy to supply young players good young players every year but they brought in the guy who would find good players for kievo and kievo up over the years giovanni satori gabs rolling his eyes um, at who has been able to supplement this and maybe keep it going a little bit uh, a little bit longer? Well, what I've been told is that the next generation, yeah. academy wise, the two thousand twos, two thousand threes, are really good and are really on a par with the ones from from a decade ago. They're top of the league in the under nineteens at the moment by quite some distance as well. Mm. So there's been quite a lot of hype about Hamid Traore, who is at uh, Empoli and he's going to Fiorentina. His brother plays for for Atalanta. He's a winger, and they're very big on him being a, a very yeah you know, someone who can break into the first Sorry. team. Okay, well now that they're set for Champions League fourth place and possibly even third because they're now only one point behind Inter with three games to go. Will they keep hold of the squad that they've got? Not just the young players coming through, but the likes of Hatibur, Duvan Zapata. So this, we talked about this, Ilicic, right? We disagree you, you think that Gusens and, and Darun never market? Well, I think I know that Gusens, Freuler, Hatibur, they have a market. Okay. And I know that, well, obviously Zapata does. And I think that's that's the thing. I think if you look at the age of Zapata, he's 28. This would be his last opportunity to get what is a quote-unquote big move mm. to a big club. And Atlantic could quite easily flip him because um, I think overall it's $12 million for a two-year loan, $14 million to make that permanent. I've been told that he's available for around $40-$50 million right. in, in, in the summer. And they obviously look for an auction. 22 goals he's scored so far this season. He's now only two off the Atlanta season record, which is held by... Pippo Inzaghi. Pippo Inzaghi. Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing about Zapata, again, is that he's been around this league for... This is his third club in three years. Um, and up until this season, he'd only scored 11 goals. That was his best... Uh, single season Um, and this year he didn't score until November and he scored 22 goals and Gab brought it up earlier that stat about the number of away goals Atlanta have scored he scored I think 16 of his 22 goals have been away from home Wow, 16 if we're going to pull players out beyond Zapata to talk about Ilicic is one who I think Ilicic clone human highlight reel and Papu Gomez or, or Golini? Do you want to talk about? Well, or so, so, so different. I mean, Papu Gomez is sort of like the little angry South American the guy who's skillful and he runs around, and works hard. 
Like, Gasparini has a rep in Italy of working his players extremely hard. So I always thought, man, where does Ilicic fit in this? Because this guy's just so different. He's in his own world. He does things, you know, that others can only dream of. I'm just going to put up. I'm just going to tell my players, unless you can play like Ilicic, then you can't do what Ilicic does in training. Right. You actually actually work. When, and, when you talk about him doing things that other people can only dream of, and indeed will probably need five or six replays to even understand. There's the assist, one. There's when he was one. At Palermo? Yeah, which isn't even an assist because then Pastori falls over, no? But yeah, but that 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 ridiculous pass. I mean, that, that's one of those things where, you know, it's, so he's, it's, it's he's like got, it's like the Rodrigo Tadei Aurelio. You're like, what? How do you technically, physically? So he's that. standing in front, well, two defenders are standing in front of him. He has the ball, but they're right next to him. And how does he get the ball past them to Pastore? Well, he looks like he's going to do like a Cruyff turn, I suppose. But he, he doesn't execute fully the Cruyff turn because what he's about to do is lift the ball over the defender's heads with the inside of his foot. But the boner, though, one leg comes behind the other after doing a drag back and then side foot lifts it. Just how? It's impossible to understand. <laughs> Well, Ilicic, you know, I think if you look at uh, this season, again, he he missed the, the first, I think, nine or t uh, ten games of the campaign because he had this um, this bacterial infection. Uh, he had um, in the lymph nodes in his in his neck. You know, he'd wake up. He had no energy. He was scared for his life. I mean, it does sound a little bit over the top, but he said, having been a teammate of Davide Astori's, having seen everything that happened to him, he was very aware of how kind of precarious you know, life is, even if you're a professional athlete. And this is the astonishing thing about Atlanta this season is that from the losing on penalties to Copenhagen in the Europa, uh, to get to the Europa League group stages, they went on a terrible run after that. Part of that terrible run was because they were without Ilicic and Zapata was not scoring. And ever since they've been doing their thing, they've been practically unstoppable. But Gasparini said this team has depth all over the park in terms of we've got two goalkeepers, we've got six centre-backs, we've got four wing-backs, we've got we can change things up in midfield. The three positions that I absolutely cannot change is Zapata, Ilicic and Papu Gomez. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. I, I, I think um, going forward, I think they'll hold on to Ilicic and Papu, but not Zapata. And that's, I think, maybe been the one thing holding them back over the last few years is holding them back. I mean, they finished fourth and they're probably going to finish fourth again this time around. Oh, one um, point behind Inter in third. And that's because Pitania, who, to yeah. be fair to him, has had a very good season with Spal, couldn't score goals in the way that Zapata has done. Well, they've got Genoa at home next up, then the cup final, when there should be a massive crowd going down to... Uh, the Stadio Olimpico. It'd be nice for the Stadio Olimpico to get a decent crowd for a game involving Lazio. It was half empty. I mean, not even half empty. It was quarter full this this weekend. Yeah, Did you see people that like, crack jokes about how, like, you know, we're not crack jokes. It's definitely serious. But what a freak show it was that they didn't shut down the the curva for the racist abuse mm. that Bakayoko's subject to. Like, mm. You know, the joke was that well, maybe they did and nobody noticed because <laughs> you know, right now the way the way they are, I just hope nothing. It makes you nervous when Atalanta travel in mass to Rome because, right. like you said, it's the one thing that unites Lazio and, and Roma supporters is their loathing for, for Atalanta. It's going to be amazing to see them in the Champions League. I am looking forward to well, seeing what... they qualify for the... Come on, if they they're qualify. not there yet, okay? Okay, well, we'll keep like, an eye on things for these final few weeks. Tell you what, let's just have a little burst of music, perhaps the Papu Gomez song, and then we'll be back with what else happened this weekend because there were some big things. 
news of a not Atalanta, but actually related to them because it's their beloved neighbours, Brescia. Brescia are back up in Serie A. Welcome back, Massimo Cellino. How many managers this season? Just the two. David Suazzo. Mm-hmm. Three uh, games. And then they brought in Eugenio Carini. Il Genio. Right. I thought, Gab, you were going to get excited about it. I thought you were a big Carini <laughs> fan. Cellino coming back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's our next Galazzo. I thought we were Chile. Chilino. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Lecce could follow them this coming weekend. Fabio Liberani's yeah. Lecce. Wow. Yeah. Extraordinary. Anyway, uh, nice for Brescia to get their side back in the top flight. They're a club that contributed many, many happy memories from Pirlo and Baggio to Mazzoni to all sorts of things. Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola. Guess who was there when their title celebrations were going on or their promotion celebrations? Mario Balotelli, which really? of course, nice. as someone who is from Brescia and speaks with a very strong Brescia accent, mm. Wouldn't it be great to see him? Wouldn't it? Turin Derby took place. They moved it after much suggestion it was going to be played on the anniversary of the Superga disaster. They played it on the Friday. It finished 1-1. And it was nice to see the Juve fans uh, actually putting out a banner saying honour to the It the was also nice Superga. to see them um, take action against uh, one particular idiot who was spotted making the gesture of an aeroplane. Uh, they, for once, used the cameras, identified him and have thrown him out. Every year, right, so the, the captain of the team goes up and all the guys on the youth team is all sit around the memorial and the captain reads the names of the people who died. And every year it's just on social media or whatever. And every year it gives you goosebumps. Right. Well, we we did a, a Golazzo all about this in, incredible story, an incredible group of, of people. Napoli are now definitely second in the table. Mathematically, they are now guaranteed. Arithmetically, yeah. Arithmetically, they are... <laughs> Sealed into second. Second place. The race for the top four is oh so tight now, Gab. Inter drawing this weekend. Roma also only managing a draw. Inter drawing nil-nil away at Udinese. Meantime, no word yet on the new contract for Icardi, but he's been told to keep a low profile. How's that going? (laughs) Well, he just keeps appearing naked on his knees um, in... Some very provocative photos with now, Wanda. Quasi-NSFW photo shoot on Wanda's right. um, They're kind Instagram. of apparently inspired by David and Victoria Beckham's risque uh, pictures back in the day. They've been hugely successful. If you haven't seen them, why not, why not join the 27 million people who have got to her Instagram right. feed? I haven't had my weekly dig up. Spalletti. Okay. You know how Wanda was like Jezebel and the devil and Satan rolled into one for, right. for making those suggestions about how his teammates could get out of the ball more, blah, 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 right? Uh-huh. What does the little bald hobgoblin say after the game today? They ask, like, how can you improve your quality in front of goal? Right. And he says, have players of better quality there. Right. How is this different? I, it just bugs me that this guy has got a portion of the media eating out of his hands where it's, it's never his fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And he can but, go and basically but, dump all over his own players, but nobody else can. But it's, there is a significant body of opinion that, that he's that he not should go. Yeah. Yes, and I, I'm, I, I lead that fan <laughs> yeah, club. But they're going to finish third, maybe, which yeah. is an improvement on last year, this right? This is the single most dangerous thing, people bringing up this idea. Oh, look, they're improving. They're third. And All look, right. and then they had such a wonderful Champions League because people don't remember anything about the Champions League and how turgid they were. Right. Yes, they narrowly went out, but that's because they frankly got very lucky against PSV Eindhoven and against right. Spurs. and. Well, the the name that's been linked with that job, as well as the 
potential vacancy in Rome and also in Paris as well. You know it, I know it. It's Antonio Conte. <laughs> yes. I see you happy about that. I'm delighted. Okay. I mean, he's a great manager. <laughs> he's not a great manager for what these clubs need right now. And the other thing, which is... Why, why is that, Gab? Because... Claudio Ranieri said he'd go and pick Antonio Conte up at the airport. Yeah, because yeah, you would make Claudio Ranieri's legacy look good. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the problem... The, he's, a, he's a tremendous manager. And look, we've seen this. He's a guy who's suspicious. He's a guy who's closed. He's a guy who who always, always demanding better players, and he's a guy who is always has tense relationships with the people running the club. Mm. Even at Juve, when you had Beppe Marotta babysitting him, remember what happened, three years, and then all of a sudden, he walks out. I mean, he walked out of the club, right? They wouldn't sign him Juan Cuadrado. Um, over signing, because they're not signing him the superstars he wants. Now, Inter are just coming out of financial fair play restrictions, as are Ro- uh, Roma, can you imagine the fans in Rome? Like the minute they do something, he does something he doesn't want. Again, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Antonio Conte the last couple of months. Maybe he's become monk-like during his time away and says, "You know what? I'll come back a better manager because I've learned my lessons. I've learned not to, you know, send text messages telling players never to come back so that the club is forced to sell them, like he did with Diego Costa." But I don't know that you want to take that chance. Then you look at the amount of money he wants. You know, if I were into, I would say, okay, listen, Antonio, you want to show us you've changed? Okay, your salary is going to be a million euros. And then if you hit these targets, you get us, you get us in the change, you get us in the round of 16, here's another 15 million. Go knock yourself out. Well, but but as, as people who cover Serie A, I mean, the idea of Conte being back is pretty exciting. Oh, it is exciting. Conte, Ancelotti, and maybe Allegri all in the same thing. But the other, the other thing is almost daily. Because Conte is very well, Conte doesn't speak to the press much, but he is basically one guy to every paper who is sort of his, his conduit, is sort of his spirit animal. And there's a guy, Gazzetta, who does exactly that. And I can also understand Spalletti's annoyance, not that I'm going to defend Spalletti for a second, picking up the paper and like, oh, this is what Conte would do next season if he was in charge of Inter. And like, blah, 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 blah. This is what Inter needs to do if they want Conte. And after a while, I could see how that would be rather a ball-breaking exercise, especially for somebody as sensitive as Spalletti. Inter currently are in third. Roma need a uh, blistering finish to this campaign if they're to break back into the top four. And next weekend, they're facing Juventus. Yeah, and to be honest, at this time of the year, whenever they played them, because Juventus, if you've got Champions League finals to look forward right. to or cup finals or they've already wrapped up the league, they tend to do pretty well in this game. So we'll see. But as Gab says, with Cristiano chasing that Capocannonieri crown, and he's got a lot of work Against to do. Against that Roma defence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the one other thing we should mention before we wrap up today is the fantastic match at the Tardini. Uh, Palmer taking on Sampdoria. Confusingly, in each other's strips for charity, they wore jerseys bearing the design of their opponents, but in their own team colours. So Parma basically were wearing the, the kind of... Hoop. The hoop but in Palmer colours, and, and, and Sam had the cross, but in, yeah, you get the picture. Uh, two goals from Quagliarella, a 3-3 three, three, uh, draw was the final score, a Palmer and six points clear now of the drop, so it looks like mission accomplished in terms of their first season back in the top flight. Yeah, and Quagliarella uh, is on, what, 25 goals now? Yeah, um, at age which, which is the most by a player that age in... Serie A history. We all know that Luca Toni was the oldest Capocannonieri, but he did not score as many as Quagliarella did. When he was 36, he scored them when he was older. 
No, is Gap. that how you're shoehorning him in? No, Gap. What I'm saying is that I think he scored 22 goals. Right, he was he top became... scorer, but it wasn't this many goals. But yeah, that season, it was enough. To but do that. had also eight penalties for Kaya. For Kaya sure, Island. yeah. One of them this weekend. It's like Milivojevic this year has got 12 goals. Yeah, and only Milivojevic just scored more in Eurotop's five leagues. Fair enough. All right, then. Well, that wraps it up, then, for today's edition of Golazzo. We're not going to be here for the next couple of weeks. We're going to come back to review something. Yeah, we're not going to be here for the next couple of weeks, but once the season is settled, we'll come back and do a proper review of it all. So uh, hang on for that. James, you're in Slovakia. I'm going to be in Slovakia for the IIHF World Ice Hockey Championships. That's right. Italy going to be there. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Gab and James. We'll be back soon, listener. Until then, from all of us here, Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>